0: And one of these is a suggestion from you at the beginning of the programme. We'll start first of all, though, by picking up where we left off last week. Uh, David Walsh in today's Sunday Times has written the second part of his piece about the Briony Frost-Robbie Dunn affair that you'll have read and heard plenty about this week. The the second um, raft of revelations from the case notes that David Walsh has has been leaked, um, Maddie make for I thought sort of slightly more interesting reading funnily enough last week there was obviously a big shock factor in 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 reading this stuff that we weren't fully aware of this week he's he's raising sort of slightly more nuanced points about about weighing room culture and trying to explain um why it is how he perceives it to be
1: yeah and I think it depends on who you ask doesn't it some people won't have any experiences of any malpractice, any bullying, anything like that in the waiting room and other people will and it's not necessarily for us to say oh you're, you're wrong because you haven't experienced that, that's just what different people have, have that's the route they've gone down, that's what they've seen um, I think it's a, it's a shame really how this has played out isn't it, that's, that's the main thing um, instances like this it's all got rather messy but what I would say is as much as it's horrible to read about and of course we don't want you know in any workplace you don't want bullying or discrimination or anything like that to exist sometimes it takes something like this to then break through and show us actually this is the way we should be going in uh, rather than you know and the way room is 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 a closed culture almost or it comes across like that in many ways and although that might be okay in certain instances it might not when things like what we've heard mm-hmm. in in the leak details are happening because it it it's fostering the culture, if you like. That's the buzzword that they've used. And if nothing is done about it, and it is sort of... Uh, it's, it's very secretive, then we're not really going to know what goes on.
0: I mean, David, in his, in his article, has a, a sort of tried to e- explain that when, when, you, when you are riding competitively against one another but also putting yourselves in grave danger, as Jock doing all the time, it, there is a very positive camaraderie and bond that is born of that but that intensity can sometimes have a, uh, a negative impact as well. There is, a, yeah. there, is a, there is a negative to that, as there is in any, any walk of life. And the, the wider, more interesting point is how unusual, how at right angles is, a, is how the weighing room operates to the rest of, of society. Should we be looking yes. at modernising the actual physical space for female jockeys... Well,
1: that's something you came up with, wasn't it? More the infrastructure and the layout to maybe avoid that conflict. But I'm sort of thinking, well, if you're having to change a layout of a place, maybe it's a slightly bigger or complex problem involving the individuals. But look, let's say this happens in any sport, Okay, You've got competitive athletes uh, in the heat of battle. It's perfectly understandable that there would be a bit of crosswords, like Lorcan said, he and Paige Fuller get on fantastically well, but this was something that was in the context of that race. Probably went both went back to the re- weighing room, had a couple of uh, swear words at each other, and then they moved on. But there is a differentiation mm. to be had between that one-off incident and something that goes deeper than that. And yeah. The thing is, we're in the dark.
0: And everybody should be able to distinguish between those they two should. things as well.
1: And although the the not altercation but the incident between for instance lawken and and page was you know was okay to happen in a closed environment of the weighing room bullying uh is not
0: let's move on to the ketamine story this week which uh, concerned a horse called franconi who was trained by john gosn who tested positive uh for a metabolite of ketamine and it was uh, the the explanation put forward by um, John was that one of his stable staff had come forward and said that they were the likely contaminant source from ketamine that they'd been using recreationally. John Gosling got a £500 fine. We still await the reasons from the district panel exactly why he's got the £500 fine, Uh, Maddie.
1: Yes, often with these instances it's not always immediately clear is it because it's not not black and white. Um, But I thought it was interesting afterwards about John saying, well, what do I do? Do I fire that member of staff for this mistake or or what what path do I take? Um, Clearly, you know, we need to be getting to the bottom of these instances and and knowing what's gone on. Uh, We'll hear a lot more about drugs in racing in the the next couple of weeks with, of course, the the Breeders' Cup and and Bob Baffert, but that's separate from this. This seems from, you know, what we've heard and the conclusions that have been made to be that sort of one-off uh, cross-contamination through the, the stable staff
0: yeah I, I mean there, there's a, a sort of question about um, what sort of censure you should uh, read down to your stable staff if you found that they've been using recreational yeah. drugs but if you fired everyone who was using recreational drugs in their spare time uh, that you found exactly. out then and, and the other thing is I...
1: I think racing can get drawn into you know I'm not saying we don't have a problem but equally it's you do have to acknowledge there's, you know, it's a societal thing as well.
0: Yes, yeah, so I suppose it's a bit like what we were talking about before: is relative to society, is the problem worse within within this community, or is it broadly reflective of the community at large?
1: And as a lot of things in racing, it's easy to have an opinion on it, but we need facts, we need research into where the truth actually lies. It's very easy to make a. Uh, a snap decision on something um, without actually, you know, first-hand going and investigating it.
0: And my instinct would be, in this case, I, I'd much rather, if this member of stable staff has issues and he's voluntarily come forward, I'd much rather he was in the relatively safe environment of being a member of John Gosden's employ than being tossed out.
1: Absolutely, and I think that's something that John Gosden, John Gosden's recognised that, hasn't he? Um, and I think. You know, racing needs to support people who come forward or have problems um, because otherwise that's not productive, that's not a sustainable avenue to go down.
0: It was a tough day for, uh, for Clare Haven because not only did this uh, case come to light and uh, get John Gosden some quite negative publicity on the Today programme, but Mishrif uh, was announced that he wouldn't go to the, the Breeders' Cup at Del Mar. John says he needs a break. Looks as though he's going to stay in training next year. And I think the feeling is if he's going to go Saudi Cup and all the rest of it, then something's got to give.
1: Because of Mishrif and the the abilities he has, he's so adaptable. Dirt, turf, different trips. I think they have to be very careful. I think it's a challenge for John to map his season out because he has various little breaks here and there. We saw again on Champions Day, I think that soft ground, although he's won on soft ground, I think it was uh, maybe his pre de Jockey Club win, maybe afterwards. He, although he's won on it, he probably doesn't handle it um, to best effect. And When you have got big international mm. targets, I think that makes sense to me. I think going to the Breeders' Cup would probably be a, a step too far for a horse like him who is interesting because he carries condition, he's got a lot of presence, but equally puts, I think he puts 110% in. But I do think he's quite a unique horse in the way that John Gosden has to negotiate where he runs him, when he eases off, when he attacks.
0: Yeah, I hope... If he does stay in training next year, it looks like he's going to. I hope they work backwards from the Keeneland Breeders' Cup Classic because I think it would be a great shame if this horse wasn't yeah. given a chance to run in a Breeders' Cup Classic before his retirement.
1: Yes, and maybe now they've had another season of learning what suits him, what doesn't. It'll be clearer. But I guess that's the that's the downside, if there is one, of having such a brilliant horse is that, you know, why not give anything a go? Whereas now they can narrow down their options and actually target things easier, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I mean, there have been more brilliant horses. There are probably more brilliant horses around at the moment, but it's a question of there are very few horses that you can, you know, gloriously play around with to that to he's, that extent. He's
1: exceptional, isn't he? And I think we're all very guilty of going, oh, the Judmont International, the, the form of that race, didn't quite stand up or, you know, he was, he was disappointing in the Eclipse. I think there's something about Mishra. If maybe it's because people doubt that international form and they want to see him do it, on home turf, yeah. even when he did, they weren't, they weren't satisfied, so I feel like he's still got a bit of a point to prove, so I think it's magnificent, we'll see him for another year
0: Right, um, talking points experiment now, we asked you at the beginning of the programme to suggest any talking points, this one's come from AJ, good morning possible subject for today's two minute discussions in the light of state of rest success in the Cox Plate and all the other big global racing events coming up over the next few weeks, how seriously is the sport taking climate change and working towards net zero? Now um, your paper, the Racing Post did a, a piece about this a couple of weeks ago
1: Yes, and I think it's a very, very important thing to draw attention to. Uh, I've recently got into the Formula One, which, again, Segway is, was partly due to their Drive to Survive documentary. I'd love mm-hmm. to see racing do a similar thing, um, but that's a separate conversation. The amount that they're doing, obviously, with cars, with you know all the emissions, it's a travelling circus. And in some ways, racing is the same, but they're very vocal about what they're doing. To mitigate against it and i think racing again it's unknown we want to hear more about what's been going on because it is crucial for any organization any business these days um, that you are transparent with what you're doing in terms of sustainability you'll know more about transporting horses and and what's involved there is there any kind of offsetting of emissions or anything. Well,
0: I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to ask my brother, who's a shipping agent and flies hundreds of horses around the world every year. And I suspect, I suspect racing's um, carbon footprint is, uh, is pretty significant when you think about the thousands of horses that are moving around the world on a, on a regular basis. It, it, and it is something that the sport is, is, is going to have to acknowledge, even if there's not an obvious, uh, an obvious solution to it.
1: And you've got to think as well, the amount of jockeys, stable staff... Uh, racing individuals going up and down the country to different race meetings uh, every week you know this is an issue that we're all facing it's not just a racing problem but equally you know people try and shout about what they are doing Mm. and it's something to be proud of and it's something we need to be doing so is this something that needs to be talked about a bit more? I think we're getting to that the stage fact, now where probably The fact probably that you
0: yes. and I, you and I who who live in Teddington and Strawberry Hill respectively,
1: yeah.
0: uh, drove two cars here today is probably a bit of a disgrace, isn't well, it? Well,
1: producer did say maybe Nick will give you a lift, but the invite wasn't there. Yeah,
0: problem is I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't out of, I was out of bed in time, I don't think. That's
1: <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> that's I'll let the you issue. i That's was
0: in a bit of a rush this morning. <laughs> uh, right, where are we next? Colin Keane has got the ride on to Well... He's kind of retained or got it back, whichever way you look at it, on Tanawa in the uh, in the Breeders' Cup turf. If you remember last year, Sumion was going to ride the horse. He failed his COVID test. Uh, or he tested positive for COVID. It's not exactly a failure. He didn't do anything wrong. Uh, Colin Keane stepped in for the ride and she won. Then he rode her uh, at Leperstown. Sumion got the ride back in France. And then it was... Who's it going to be? Isn't so.
1: it just a French retainer for Sumion? Isn't that as far as the the sort of... It goes?
0: Yeah, yes, it is. But I I sort of... I wondered if you, if Dermot Weld didn't train the horse, and it was just a blank canvas, and the Aga Khan was asked to pick his rider, would he, would he have picked Sumyon or would he have gone for Colin? I don't, I don't know. Mm. I mean, who would you, who would you have picked to ride, to ride? It?
1: Well, sumyon has got a lot of experience on the big day, hasn't he, on the big occasion? But equally, Colin Keane... I mean, masterful jockey is setting his own records left, right and centre. And he's proved he can do it in those Breeders' Cup conditions, hasn't Mm he? Uh, He's been riding her, might not have ridden her in the arc, but knows her very, very well. He's closer to her on a daily basis. I'm not saying he rides her out every day at home, but that proximity has got to mean something. And, yeah, I I don't think it's of huge significance anyway. I'm not surprised...
0: And he's a, he's a rider on the up as well, isn't he?
1: And I think he needs chances oh, like this. He's he, He's got the numbers, but you need the quality to go with that. And he's proven he can do it, and he deserves it. Um, and, you know, Christoph Simeon, I'm sure he's got plenty of excellent horses to ride as well. Um, but you're talking about two jockeys who are at slightly different stages of their career, I guess.
0: I'll ask you another question about Tanawa. while well, we've got 42 seconds left. Uh, the official international handicap uh, system has got her £3.00. Inferior to where she was at this corresponding stage last year—is that—is that a reasonable reflection of her relative ability or not?
1: Yes, I think, so. hmm,
0: I think so. Interesting. Yeah. So is she more vulnerable then this time round?
1: Well, it depends on the strength of opposition, doesn't it? Of course it does. Uh, she beat a, a good field last year. Uh, who was in there? Was it Mogul Channel Maker?
0: Mogul Magical.
1: Magical Channel Maker. Who probably wasn't at her her peak then. Um, the ARG... I'm biased when it comes to the arc, of course, but I do think it was a good running of the arc. If the winner wasn't 80 to 1, we'd be saying, well, Hurricane Lane, Tanawa, Adiar, they're all up there. Mm. Seely Way, since boosted the form. I think it was a good arc. Um, Her
0: main but she's pe- lost
1: that invincibility of, of probably what she had last year. Her main
0: competitors, she? I think, are going to be domestic spending and, well, possibly Tiona. If she runs in the turf, Roger Verin yes. said she might run against the boys in the turf and not the. How's she
1: going to handle travelling? Because her damn ambivalent was a little bit hot. And, and, so, and so is she. So I think. is she. Yeah. So I'd be interested to see how Roger Very masterminds getting her over there.
0: She's got all the talent, um, and so has Holly Doyle. But that's nothing you didn't know already. But she's broken her, her own record. Uh, she also was uh, part of a, a documentary on i t v that um was aired this week where I, mean, I said to her i said to holly yesterday she she had two winners i said oh i enjoyed the um i enjoyed the film you did with ollie on on i t v and she said she 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 looked embarrassed that i'd even that i'd even said it
1: but that's what i love about Holly Doyle. I remember i can't have been at the racing Post very long, and I rang her up to do a q and a straightforward q and a that we we do in the, the racing post sunday and she was so unassuming and so uh just like now having seen her progress and her growing confidence she's probably more comfortable with the press more comfortable with the attention but that's the one thing i take out of holly is that and i think she said it herself in that documentary which was fantastic is that she's been true to herself the whole way through she's not tried to be someone else and I really respect that and and sort of chime with that as a woman in racing. Not that necessarily we're pressured to go in a certain way or or do certain things, but I think that's something to be immensely proud of, how many people can say that they've been authentic to themselves and been so successful at the same time. I I think she's just a fantastic ambassador for racing. I really do.
0: Yes, Uh, and I I think when... (sighs) When jockeys who are naturally garrulous or show people are then latched onto by, and understandably by marketeers, they are they being asked to perform all the time. Yeah. And the way that sort of she has emerged, it's never had to be performative. She's just no. Yeah, you know, her authenticity is what makes her, you know, attractive to to everybody. Precisely,
1: because and- I think we can all relate to her and. It's that sort of unassuming nature. I mean, it's great to see now, though, because she's riding with that confidence. She's had so much success. You get the inclination. Jockeys carry that with them.
0: It's interesting. I was at Newbury the last couple of days, and she read a couple of winners yesterday. And she came in on each of the winners. And it's an end of season. There's a decent enough crowd there, to be fair, for an end of season, coldish, greyish, rather sort of drab (laughs) day. And yet, when she came in, there was a really nice little smattering of sort of fandom around the around the pattern of giving it. It's a
1: feel good factor, isn't it? And I think that probably goes you know, as much as we all love Frankie De Tory, we all love Machine Murphy who's embraced the media, we also relate to Holly as probably slightly more like ourselves in what she's done. She comes across as a very mm. normal person, I think, and that's what makes her so likable.
0: Okay, enough feel good stuff. Bit of politics for you. <laughs> Go on then. Bit, bit of politics. <laughs> uh, right. £5 million prize money erupts as negotiations between ARC and the Horseman break down. So, and then the following day in, in your paper, they were trying to bounce us into increasing the product. So the the simple facts of this are, if you haven't been following the story, Ark, the arena racing company, wanted more races. They wanted nine race cars, which would involve actually changing the rules of racing to accommodate that. Um, and in return for that, they were going to give uh, the... Um, they were, they were going to make... Uh, a 3.7 million increase in it, their executive prize money contributions, and they forecast that the levy um, garnered on top of that would make it up to about five million.
1: And pay stable staff. I think it was thirty uh, pound a horse.
0: Yeah, the the NTF parents. National Trainers Federation yeah. and the PJA the Pressure Association have, have torpedoed this uh, uh, deal because they, have a constituent part of the Horsemans Group, have voted against it. So that means yes. the Horsemans Group yeah. can't go with it. What do you think?
1: I can understand their point of view on it. Um, it seems like there was shifting goalposts almost of what ARC was saying and the fact that they were given 30 minutes was it to agree on a proposal if anyone sort of uh, gives you a, a short period of time to decide your stance on something you, well you think why you know why am I being pressured into making this decision as a racing fan and as a journalist I think we need less racing I think we need uh, we don't. we definitely don't need more in terms of you know field sizes Quality of racing, and also we're still amidst somewhat a staffing crisis. And you can throw thirty quid at some stable staff, and I'm sure plenty of them would be delighted to take it. But at the same time, that's probably not a a healthy way to go about supporting your workforce.
0: Yeah, the the trainers who've been most vociferously against that, we're going to hear from one such trainer in in a little while, um, have cited the lack of sustainability of this for the long-term future of the sport they think it's a short-term fix what do you say to that
1: i'd be inclined to agree at first glance um i think more racing it's understandable how that's gonna bolster the levy and bolster betting income but i think it was hugo palmer who'd made reference to the greyhound industry Mm -hmm. and the fact there's more people than ever betting on it but spectators are are down what they've been that's a warning that we need to take note of, I think.
0: But those, for the time being, were this week's Talking points.